0: Jesus miraculously heals many people with disease, with disabilities, even demons. John the Baptist, unfortunately, gets beheaded, and Jesus finally lets his people eat bacon. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through his Word and his Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in uh, Santa Cruz, California, at Gospel Community Church. Did I already say Gospel Community Church? I uh-huh. Whatever. Good. We're here. That's our church. That's where we're at. And uh, Brandon, what are we talking about today?
1: Gospel of Mark, part two. Part two. It's gonna get good. We're gonna answer a big question here, which is why is Jesus anti-evangelism? Jesus always be pointing that people guy. away from who he actually is. That guy is so confusing sometimes. Yeah, so confusing, but he's great. He's the best, yes. some might say. Um, good. Well, yeah, so we saw, we saw last week, Gospel of Mark. We saw some of these themes from this gospel. Mm-hmm. If you didn't hear that you should go back and let's do it. It helps kind of set the stage for this, but the, some of the themes are who is Jesus, his mm-hmm. identity. We see a lot of action in the gospel of Mark. We see Jesus as the servant. Yep. And we see Jesus as the son of God. So these are big themes. And then another big theme in, in Mark is the co- cost of discipleship, yeah. right? The cost of following Jesus. So we're going to see that in a little bit more, uh, distinction this week and the next week as mm-hmm. well. So, um, but yeah, the, 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 we saw the outline, right? The first half of the, of the gospel, essentially, is Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Mm-hmm. And then it's a journey to Jerusalem. Yeah. Which is interesting because Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, a lot of times in his ministry, we see that in the gospel of John, which right. is more laid out chronologically. Right. But he, Mark is sort of grouping different uh, events together just to give it a very you know, clear, simple structure, essentially. Yeah, I love the structure of Mark. It's great. Yeah. And then that second half of the gospel, essentially, chapters 11 to 16, is all the Passion Week. Mm-hmm. So we are in the middle of Jesus' ministry, and we're going to see more of what he's all about. But I do want to ask that que- the question of why does Jesus keep telling people not to tell who he is? Yeah, why? It's a very interesting question. Now, some have suggested that there's something sort of nefarious going on here. Maybe it'd be like somebody who likes the Da Vinci Code or whatever. Remember that when <laughs> That was like a big thing. Um, but you know, those who would say essentially, well, Jesus never claimed to be the, the Christ, right. he never claimed to be the Son of God, and it was only afterward that his disciples put that word in his mouth, hmm. which makes absolutely no sense, because all <laughs> they got out of it was, they got beaten up, they got killed, they got chased <laughs> from town to town, they got, they made no money, like, right. it, if it was a scam, it's the worst scam ever, Yeah, but somehow it also changes the course of human history. Yeah. Ridiculous. But, okay, we'll go with that, right? So people <laughs> believe that, and they say that what Mark did was he wrote a gospel to explain why Jesus wasn't claiming to be the, the Messiah openly by putting these words in his mouth privately. Mm. So he kind of kind of plays a game here to say, oh, Jesus always was the Messiah. He just never talked about it. <laughs> now, that's undermined in a lot of ways right. um, in terms of the gospel of Mark because Jesus will at times say things openly. Right. But he says it at specific times, at key moments, in order to accomplish certain purpose. Right. Um, I mean, in John chapter eight, Jesus says, "I am." He takes the name of God on his lips. It's like so clear, so controversial. Right. When he's on trial, they ask him, "Are you the Son of God?" And And the people listening know it. What exactly he's doing? Exactly. 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 But but what's happening here? Because this this is interesting. So look at a few different of these passages, or you can just listen as we read them in Mark chapter one. I mentioned this last week, but Jesus silences the demons mm-hmm. who are saying who he is. So in Mark one twenty four, this demon calls him the Holy One of God, and he silences him, and he exercises the demon. So he's telling the demons not to say who he is. Right. You would think that he would, that the demons, I don't even know why the demons would want to say that, but <laughs> it's undermining their you know purposes and actually helping Jesus. Right. But he's actually telling them to be silenced. If we see this again in chapter 3. In, uh, in verse 11. So he's healing people and the demons are saying openly, you are the son of God. And he's telling them to be quiet. He orders the demons not to make him known. So why does he do that? We see this with, he commands people as well. It's not just demons. We also see wow. in, in chapter one, verse 44, we see that he heals this man of leprosy and he tells him, in verse 44 he says see you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priests priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them but the guy went out and began to talk freely about it so right. he he disobeys Jesus and begins to evangelize hmm. <laughs> so uh, very strange why Jesus would command that and uh, obviously we know today we're supposed to evangelize we also see he even commands the disciples not mm-hmm. to tell people who he is so in Mark right. chapter 9 when he's transfigured on the mountain he tells them in in Mark 9, 9, he tells them to not speak about this to anyone until he's resurrected. Hmm. So he's keeping them from proclaiming a truth that would be very helpful. I mean, Jesus is like expressing his glory in that moment, who he is, and the voice from heaven is again saying, this is my beloved son. So you think that'd be helpful for them in, in arguing who Jesus is, but Jesus says, don't speak to it. So why? Why? Right. Well, first... I think, so I think there's important reasons for this that don't go to the point of saying Mark was making this up, which is a, a major stretch. But first, he's probably concerned because the title of Messiah had taken on a meaning in that context. Interesting. That was not helpful to his ministry. Right. So one, if he was out there saying, I'm the Messiah, well, there had been false messiahs previously that had started insurrections. Right. I'm not talking January 6th and so I'm talking like real <laughs> heavy duty, like death and destruction. You know, we're, we're going to get into that. You no know, Viking horns that. here. No, not you know, wow. if Viking, Viking horns are the worst thing that happened, yeah, like, big deal. But yeah. uh, but no, we're talking like real serious things that caused deaths and crucifixions, all these things, right? So that that context would have been very harmful, um, and he would not have wanted to to do that. And we see at times the Jews trying to force Jesus to become a king, right? Because when they say, "Oh, this is the Messiah." You know, let's do this. Let's let's revolt. Let's put a political, you know, actual insurrection. Right. So This this would be a problem. So and look at how Peter himself misunderstands Jesus's role in chapter Mm 8. Right when Jesus says who, you know, confirms what what Peter has said, he immediately then is rebuking Jesus for speaking about his death and resurrection. Right. No, you're not gonna die. That's not part of the plan. I know what you, you're going to be a political military leader. Right, We're going to go take over the government and install you as the ruler, right? Um, so people are very unclear. They're blind to the truth, and so that causes problems in terms of just openly stating Messiah. Mm-hmm. He wants to teach them through his ministry what his Messiahship is about. Right, So that's very important. Second, it seems this is connected with the Jew-Gentile divide because in, in Mark chapter 5, he he actually wants, so he heals someone. He wants that person to go and give the good news because he's a Gentile in a Gentile area. Interesting. And so probably the reason here is because as he's going to the capitalist the ten cities, this is a Ju- uh, Gentile area. Because the Gentiles don't have a misconception of who the Christ is, he's going to be more open about that. Makes he's sense. okay with that getting out. Yeah. And that guy probably prepares the soil there mm-hmm. in that region for the the later reception of jesus as the messiah Mm -hmm. so that there's that as well and third jesus wants to fulfill scripture so jesus is very mindful throughout that um, he's fulfilling specific things in scripture that he wants to die that he also wants to display the uh, the blindness of the leaders Mm. so we'll talk about this when he's when he's talking about his, his, his parables, that there's a blindness aspect that it ch- reveals the truth of who someone is on the inside, whether they're chosen by God or not. Right. So he's very mindful of that and he wants to fulfill scripture. He wants to die at the right time in the right way. Right. All of that is very important to his mission. So that's why Jesus is keeping it a secret is what it seems like. Makes sense. Because for him to just openly say, I'm the Christ, would, as, as truthful as that would be, in a weird sense, it'd kind of be, uh, leading them in the wrong direction because mm-hmm. they already had a, a belief about what the Messiah was. Yeah. So instead of saying I'm the Messiah, but I'm not that kind of leader, I'm not. It, he instead he just demonstrates who he is through his ministry over time that he's bringing a spiritual deliverance to his right. people, a spiritual exodus. Right. That that precedes and is and really is the foundation for the future mm-hmm. political freeing that he right. does. So, so yeah. So that's kind of the. The big idea there. I think that makes sense. I think you need to hold on to that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully that's helpful, because I know that's a big question I have when I read the Gospels. Especially in apologetic situations, I always get that. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: okay, well, let's get into the text. We're in chapter 4, yeah? Yeah, let's do yeah. it.
1: Chapter 4. So we see this theme of the, the mystery of God's kingdom. We're seeing um, Jesus speaking in, in parables. We've seen mm. this... In Matthew as well, yep. that Matthew spoke to the same realities as speaking in parables, and the reason why he's speaking in parables in in Mark four eleven and twelve is so that those who are not the elect, the the blind, would be shown to be blind. Yeah, fulfill Scripture again too. Yes. Huh? So yeah. he's he's revealing what's in men's hearts. He's revealing God's ultimate purposes of election mm-hmm. and showing that there are some who will reject him, who will be blind to the truth. Yeah so he intentionally veils the message in order to provoke that response in mm-hmm. a sense so that again fits with that that uh, messianic secret idea why jesus is not being super open about this in uh in chapter you know there's a lot of parables here we won't go through all of them we'll see more in the gospel of luke as well mm-hmm. but i really like the uh, just some of the pictures of the kingdom of god that we see in these in these parables so mm-hmm. mark chapter 4 verse 26 Jesus says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. And then it goes on to produce this amazing crop, is what he says. And so what this is showing us is that the, the growth of God's kingdom is not about what we do. Hmm. Or at least there's a real mystery of right. God's work. So if someone is sowing seeds, and they're doing a very basic action, but they have no ability to, to cause growth, right. and it's when they sleep, when they walk away from the work, that God brings the growth. Right. So there's this mystery. So it reminds us of our the need for us to be faithful, mm-hmm. but really of who's doing the work. Right? It's a very it's a very freeing passage, I think. Yeah, we see the parable of the mustard seed in the following verses. That it's like a tiny, the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed, smallest of all the seeds that they had back then. And, but when you plant it, it becomes this massive tree. And so we see the, the radical transformation of the gospel, that God's kingdom grows in a way we can't under, small, understand. It starts small, but mm-hmm. it expands, and it grows to fill the whole earth, yeah. essentially. And so Jesus is showing us the mystery of the kingdom, the things that are hard for us to understand as humans, mm-hmm. but are very important for us to know. And then we see, at the end of this chapter, we see uh, Jesus calming a storm. He's on a boat. We when we went to the the book of Matthew, or sorry, book of Matthew, book of Jonah, okay. in the Old Testament, we, we noticed a, a parallel here because Jesus is in the boat, he's mm-hmm. sleeping, which shows that he must have been very tired. Mm-hmm. But same thing happened to Jonah, right? Sleeping in a storm, right? And uh, Jesus, in that story in, in the in the book of Jonah, what happened was the sailors were afraid, they they went to Jonah, they asked him to pray, and then they ended up throwing Jonah into the sea. And then the sailors were, were terrified, and they feared God, mm-hmm. is what they, what it says. Here, what happens in this story is that it's kind of the same story. So they're afraid. They wake up Jesus. And then Jesus himself calms the storm, and then they're afraid of Jesus. Mm. They're <laughs> afraid of Jesus. So the, they, they're fearing God. Right. Right. And, and, and it's really the same story, but now God is in the boat with them. Right. And yeah. it's terrifying. And actually, they ask this question at the very end of the chapter, verse 41. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Hmm. There's that theme again, right? Who is this? Who is Jesus? Right. Who's this person who's in the boat with us? Hmm. And he's terrifying because he has that kind of a power. But so we're seeing that theme again and again. The gospel is asking, Who is Jesus? Who is this one? And it's gonna he's gonna reveal that theme to us. Hmm. Chapter five, we have two extended stories about jesus's miracles which we won't we won't talk about just for the sake of time but chapter 6 we see chapter 6 starts out with identity questions again so jesus goes to his hometown of nazareth and in verse 2 it says on the synagogue he began to teach sorry on the sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying where did this man get these things what is the wisdom given to him how are such mighty works done by his hands Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Hmm. Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. (laughs) So they're asking the identity questions again, but from their perspective, they're saying, who does this guy think he is? We know him. We know he's a carpenter. We know who his siblings are. We saw him grow up. This guy's nothing special. Yet he's speaking to us in a way that indicates he thinks he is yeah and then even his family doesn't like him yeah and his family yeah, yeah we saw that already they think he's crazy that's <laughs> that's a great sign even even your mom doesn't support your ministry <laughs> like here you're, you're sunk it seems like but these identity questions are being raised again and again at key moments to, to cause us as the reader to ask the same question right who is this mm-hmm. who is this so he's rejected in his own hometown that's not a great place to be and then we see him sending out the apostles in chapter six and John the Baptist being beheaded. Rip to John the Baptist. Rip. Sorry. Man. Sorry, Bob. He, he's such a legend and it's so sad that he gets killed so early. Yeah, and in such
0: a way, you know, it seems kinda like whatever, this one lady wants him dead, so oh, man. being dead.
1: It's rough. It's rough, but it's all in the plan of God, of course.
0: Well, maybe he shouldn't have been so antagonistic, but you
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he seems to be in the same pattern as Jesus, so <laughs> which we'll talk about next week. (laughs) But the the feeding of the 5,000 happens in this section as well. And this, again, helps to clarify the identity of Jesus. Um, We see in this passage, we see the verbs that are being used of Jesus tearing the bread and Mm -hmm. dividing the fishes as being these uh, emphasizing the repeated action Mm. of Jesus. To not get into it too much, but we see that servant idea Mm -hmm. that he is performing this act that it's a laborious act right as he's multiplying it's not just that he snaps his finger he is is tearing the bread again and again mm. to pass it out to everybody so we see him as the servant we also see a lot of reflections of psalm 23 in this i'm not sure if we address this in the gospel of matthew i don't think we did but here there's a little bit more that speaks to um jesus as the the good shepherd mm. one being the reference in verse 34 Uh, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd Mm. which is a really common phrase in in the old testament which we could talk about but it really speaks to the failure of the leadership of israel Mm. that they're not shepherding their people the people like they should Um, think about ezekiel 34 where god is condemning the shepherds of israel for instead of caring for the flock they're eating the flock yeah they're they're wolves instead of shepherds but jesus here has the right mindset of a shepherd And then not only that, but he's having them sit down. He's having them sit on grass, Mm -hmm. verse 39, right? Green grass. He leads me beside still waters, right? You know, the green pastures and still waters, all that of Psalm 23. So this is, uh, it seems to be a reflection of what God does for us in Psalm 23. Very cool. Of caring and providing. And so Jesus is in that position as the shepherd of Israel. Hmm. So we're getting more of an answer to who is this? Yeah. Who is this? Well, he's the he's the good shepherd. We see him walking on on water at the end of this, and this happens always right after the feeding of five thousand. Um, but uh, but notice the statement at the end. Okay, and, and again, we're going to deal with this more next week. But this is important for us to see. So we know the story from the Gospel of Matthew. He's walking on water. They think he's a ghost. Mm-hmm. Right? He comes into the boat. All that stuff. He says, uh, verse 50, right? He says, they were all terrified, and, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Hmm. It's a really interesting and kind of an extreme thing to say. Yeah. Their hearts were hardened. So they don't understand who Jesus is. They're not clear on that at all. And in fact, there's sort of a hardness of heart there that's causing us to to wonder about the disciples. Yeah. Are they going to actually follow Jesus in the end or are they going to reject him? Right. It's a, it's a fair question. So there's sort of a a turn that's happening in chapter 6 where it's unclear if the disciples are going to make the cut or not. Right. And like we said, Mark is really hard on his friends, the <laughs> the apostles. <laughs> yeah. So um And then let's get to Mark Mark 7 as well. we got to just cover a few more things and we can wrap it up for today. But Mark 7, so um, we see some important... There's the same battle going on here that was happening with the Pharisees in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm -hmm. So Matthew, we we talk about that a lot, how there's this building tension that's happening. There's these different attacks. Um, This is happening in the Gospel of Mark as well. Hmm. But Jesus uses this opportunity in this section as they're focusing on the externals to speak about matters of the heart hmm. and to speak about his response to the, the law. Again, we talked about a lot of this in the Gospel of Matthew, so I won't go into it too much, but what defiles a person? And he says in verse 15, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Hmm. So the religious leaders are focused on that on the outward righteous, righteousness, not the inward righteousness. Right. And he's reminding them that that's, that's totally backward, that God cares about what's in the heart and that even if you do outwardly righteous things, if it's from an impure heart, it's an impure act. Right. But then he goes on to to speak to the cleanness of all foods. So he says in verse 18, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters into his heart, or not his heart, but his stomach? And is expelled mm-hmm. thus he declared all foods clean so he's speaking to um, nothing can make you spiritually unclean right so all the Old Testament stuff is as important as that is it's speaking to a spiritual condition primarily right uh, so if you think it's just about the physical act you're missing the point yeah and then he goes on to speak about what makes us unclean hmm so he's not saying nothing can make you unclean right but he's saying obedience to God is something that comes out of the heart mm-hmm. and so is disobedience so in verse 20 he says verse 20 what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts sexual immorality theft murder adultery coveting wickedness deceit sensuality envy slander pride foolishness all these come from within and they defile a person yeah. so he's he's clarifying you know where uncleanness comes from it comes from our actions but he's also i mean showing just how big of a problem people have yeah because if your uncleanness comes from your your deepest self, mm-hmm. who you are deep down inside, then there's nothing you can do externally to right. cleanse that or fix that. Yep. And so this is going to help to set up for what Jesus is going to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, let's just light out really, like plainly. What does that mean for us in application? If we have a
1: you know, rotten heart, so to speak. Yeah, it means that that there's absolutely no way you can cleanse yourself, mm. right? I mean, that should be so clear. We see, we'll see that in the rest of the New Testament as well, but nothing you can do through an outward sacrifice or through ritual washing. I think even as even in our day, we tend to do things externally to think that we can fix ourselves, change ourselves, put right what's wrong inside mm-hmm. through outward actions. Yeah, And we could go through a lot of things that we do. But ultimately speaking, it has to be a work of God uh, by the sacrifice of Jesus. So Jesus is the one who can get down to the heart and can change us and make us new and declare us to be clean as well. Yeah, amen. Cool. I want to speak real quickly to, though, before we we close the the book on this, to this last uh, story here of the Syrophoenician woman. Mm. This is, like made a lot of waves recently. Yeah. I don't know if you, like, follow any of the stuff that that, that has been on, like, different social media stuff, but people saying, essentially, Jesus was racist Hmm. for this. Have you heard this? No, have not, but I believe it. Spoiler, (laughs) that he's racist? I believe that people are saying that he's racist. Wow. Spoiler, (laughs) Jesus is not racist. In fact, he invented the entire human race. So, checkmate. I stand corrected, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) So what happens here is... Jesus is having dinner at a house and a woman comes with her daughter who has an evil spirit. And the woman, it says in verse 26, the woman was a Gentile, Mm -hmm. a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him, let's not get caught up in what that means specifically. The big idea there is she's a Gentile, okay? And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She called her a dog. He called her a dog. Yes. He wow. called her a dog. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he hates her, and he's racist. That's that's the conclusion. Well, what's happening here? What well, Jesus is saying, he's speaking to his mission, which is right. a mission to the Jews. Mm. And so he's he's speaking to her in a way that, yeah, it's, it feels harsh to us, but he's, he's essentially saying, I have to save the Jewish people. I'm coming for the Jews. Mm-hmm. And he's saying something to her that I really believe is provoking a response from her, right? Like he's gonna he's going to heal her, and this is really meant to to show her her faith. Mm-hmm. This is like a, it reflects well on her. So she responds, verse twenty eight. She answered him, "Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs." Hmm. And he said to her for this statement, "You may go your way. The demon has left your daughter." And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. So Jesus loves that response. He's excited about that response. Right. Because what she's saying is, okay, I may be second class in the sense of God's plan of salvation. The Jews are the ones you came for. But even a dog should be able to eat the crumbs. Mm-hmm. So what so she's saying, I mean a couple of things. She's saying the power of Jesus is so great that even the the smallest crumbs from Jesus are enough to fix her biggest problems in life. Right. Which Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, and she's also speaking to the fact that Jesus doesn't just love the Jews, that his mission is ultimately to the Gentiles. And so even though right now he's focusing heavily on the, on the Jews, this story shows us that that grace is going to be extended to Gentiles like us, Hmm. right? So this is a, this is a very opposite of being racist actually, right? right? (laughs) He's, he's showing the nature of his mission that he cares about people even that are outside of his people. Yeah. because he's going to claim all people from all tribes and tongues and nations to be his people. Yeah. So, I don't know. Just if, if you are confused by that story, I hope that clarifies a little bit what's happening there. Not you, but you know. Yeah. No, makes sense. Well, that's all we got for today, right?
0: That's right. That's right. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. Make sure you go home and you have yourself some bacon and a cup of coffee because you're free in Christ because of what he's done for you, but most of yeah. all, uh, understand that he's taking your sins away by his blood. We'll see you next week for the rest of, uh, for the next part of uh, the Gospel of Mark.